This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. I'm Christina. This week, I'm so pleased to be joined by actor, director, producer, and author Justine Bateman. Bateman has just released her latest book. It's called Face, One Square Foot of Skin. And the response to the book has been huge. In Face, Justine Bateman examines the aggressive ways that society reacts to the aging of women's faces. For the book, she interviewed 47 women and men about their experiences with their aging faces, and based on those interviews, she's written a collection of short narratives that make up the book. Like me, many of you may have first seen Justine Bateman as Mallory Keaton on the 1980s TV sitcom Family Ties, also starring Michael J. Fox. Bateman was nominated for two Emmy Awards and a Golden Globe for her work on the show that was a massive hit. 36 million viewers tuned in to the finale of Family Ties in 1989. Bateman also starred in shows like Men Behaving Badly, Arrested Development, Still Standing, and Desperate Housewives, to name a few. Just this year, she premiered her feature film directorial debut called Violets, starring Olivia Munn and Justin Theroux at the 2021 South by Southwest Film Festival. At 46 years old, Justine Bateman went back to school. She enrolled at UCLA and earned a bachelor's degree in computer science and digital media management. In 2018, she released her first book, Fame, The Hijacking of Reality. It's an examination into the nature of fame and celebrity. And she's just now released her second, Face, One Square Foot of Skin. Justine Bateman, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Happy to be here. You fucking hate memoirs. You say as much in your book, <laughs> Fame. And this is not a memoir. These are many voices. It's an exploration of how society responds to aging. But I did find it immensely personal. Is it all right to say that? And um, if so, how? I mean, I endeavor to be as, as good a writer as I can humanly become. Like, that's my, that's my goal. Um, to me, you know, I have like a, a thesis statement really in my writing. And then I think about how, and I, and I've done the research, you know, in both fame and, and this book face. And I, I think about how am I, and I do the same thing with my filmmaking, like how, how can I make the emotional impact of, of what I'm writing or making as deep as possible for the viewer? And so I think about what format it would be in. And because what I want to do with my projects is I want to make it intensely personal for the reader or for the viewer. And that's why for me, you know, as, as a member of the target audience of this book, I'd ask myself, what format would I want to take it in? Would I want it to be academic? Would I want it to be sort of just one person's experience with it? I thought, no, I'd want it to be in this Sometimes I write these little micro stories, you know, like shorter than short stories. And I thought, no, I'd want it to be in that format. I'd want it to be like a bag of potato chips. And each story is something you can, you know, potato chip you can chew on and then think about like what, what core fear is, is propelling that particular person in that particular story. Tell me what led you to write the book. Um, while I was writing my book, Fame, 
I happened to Google myself and the autocomplete was looks old. So Justine Bateman looks old. And at the time I was 41, 42 or something. And um, I didn't think I looked old. Uh, I thought I'd always looked young for my age, in fact. So, and for reasons that had nothing to do with my face, I decided I go into more detail in, in that book, Fame, but I decided they were right and I was wrong. And that uh, messed with my head um, for a while. And I, I really had to dig in to myself and find out what what irrational fears did I have that were um, serving as anchors for this idea? Why did I bring it? How did this how did this serve me? Why did I bring this these ideas that these other people had about me and bring them in as beliefs inside of me um, to my detriment? So once I unwound all of that, I started thinking more broadly about society as a whole. Like, isn't this odd that we have this belief set up in our society? You know, amongst us, we are all the society, right? It's not them. It's all of us. And, you know, those who are perpetrating it and those of us who have bought into it, you know, it, it takes two. And so I wanted to look at what irrational fears exist for us as a group that's caused us to take in this idea and make it a belief. And so that was the genesis of the of the book. And um, so in each story, I I try to look at one of those possible fears. And for the reader, hopefully they'll they'll look at it and go, oh, that that fear kind of rings true for me. I think that's what's serving as an anchor in my life. And then in doing that, they can get, get rid of it, hopefully. Yeah, because that's. I'd like to get into some of these big discoveries that you made really to see how strong fear is for women. Fear to lose power, fear, fear to lose money, fear to lose fame or love. Um, and these are huge, understandable fears. But how did you find that it's related to appearance, to face? You know, I, I endeavor to be as confident as possible and as free from fear as possible. So anytime I feel that I've gone off balance, that I've gone off that track, uh, I have to write about it. I want to find out what fear in me, and most of the time it's an irrational fear, but what fear in me caused me to go off track like that? Like what happened, what just happened at that supermarket or at that business meeting or I felt fine and then I wasn't. And what was that inciting incident that that caused me to go off track? So that's how I do my life. And um, for me, there's there's always a fear-based reason that made me go off track. I find that to have always been true for me and I do believe it's a it's a truism for the human experience. I think fear is what always sort of takes us, makes us do something that's based in ego or that's based in um, insecurity or that's based in uh, selfishness or competitiveness or all those are, you know, if you dig under that. It's all because of a, a fear of something. Right. But what I found so, you know, sad in, in, in many of the stories in the book is that the fear of all these things is so related to what society would say is losing your looks. I think because women are easy marks for that. For men, it would be something else. I mean, we could do a whole book on 
uh, how these fears attack men, you know, and it's going to be more so in the in the finance area, at least in the United States. But for women, it's just become an easy mark because there's this interesting element. And I go into it a little bit in the book, but I, I didn't go into it broadly. I mean, it's actually something would be like very interesting to research. The fascination that that human society has had with the female face at every age in many eras, not just now. I mean, now we have this fascination with changing it, you know, insisting that it's broken and it needs to be fixed. But, you know, the, the, one of the foundations of, of, of this, of the position we have in this society is this long standing position of a fascination with, with the female face. That's, that's very, you know, there's a, a Harvard professor named Nancy Etcoff who's written a book called The Survival of the Prettiest that kind of goes into a lot of that foundational information. It's it's a very interesting thing to think about and to research, I think, that long-term fascination with the female face. Several of the women you talked to about, you know, sort of body image and the female face was shaped in, in already in early childhood that, you know, you see older women whose lives are sort of folding under the pressure of aging and wanting to reverse it. In, in your life, your own mother and women of your life, what was her relationship to aging and to your appearance as a young girl? Well, for me, I mean, I grew up working at the uh, these older actresses, um, uh, European actresses of the sixties and seventies and American actresses too. I mean, so I was a, you know, born in 66. So I, those formative years, right. were during the seventies when having a natural look was so in vogue. Right. So that's what I grew up looking at. And I, and I was, really, um, Someone wants your um, attention. I know. <laughs> hold on one no second. Problem. I just got to get somebody to deal with this. Hold on one second. Okay, I'm back. Sorry. So no, no problem. We were talking about um, women in your life as a growing up um, that in your book, there's many women who are shaped by, by, you know, sort of seeing older women folding under certain pressures of appearance and, and what you were. Yeah. For me, I mean, I grew up looking at the European actresses of the sixties and seventies um, in, you know, films from the sixties and seventies. And I was also, you know, a kid in the seventies and, you know, that was a time when things were a natural appearance was in vogue and was stressed and um so that's I grew up thinking that's what looked cool and I was also drawn to these biographies of women that were that had gone beyond and um you know Amelia Earhart or Frida Kahlo or you know Coco Chanel and and it was it was about this confidence they had in their um, going after their objectives. And so that's what I was really drawn to. It was more like a, a style and an attitude than exactly how somebody looked. Um, and for most of those women that I just mentioned, like there was, their faces were whatever, whatever they were. <laughs> you know what I mean? So to now be in this uh society where artifice is so 
focused upon is really strange to me. It's so simplistic. And maybe that's why it's become so popular because it is simplistic and maybe people feel overwhelmed with the complexity of life or something. I don't know. And they just want it, you know, whittled down to something super simple. Um, but I like, I like the gray areas. I like the, I like the complexities of life. I like, I like the, um, that it's not just black and white. It's not just good and bad. When did you realize that it wasn't like that as a young girl? We realize that, you know, our appearance, that the world, that society looks at you like that. Um, it really didn't start for me until I read these criticisms of my faith, like it in, in my early 40s. It just didn't occur to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and, and then in, in the years since I worked, I worked through that in, in myself, you know, whatever fears, like I said, were anchors for that, pulling in that idea about my own face. But then as I was working through that, you know, the years that have occurred between then and now, just looking around at the, what I think is like this very sort of psychotic attitude about towards women, that they, their faces are broken and need to be fixed. I mean, there's been like a, a very steep escalation oh, yeah. of that kind of attitude towards women in the names of products in the ads we see, in the articles we read. And nobody was sort of saying, hey, time out. Isn't this crazy? Should we be telling women, all these women, at various ages, by the way, that their faces are broken and need to be fixed? Isn't this crazy? It's like telling everyone you should cut off the little toe on your left foot. Well, it's all about money, too, isn't it? Well, you know, there there is... It, you'd be hard pressed to find a sort of a big effort that is not being benefited from um, uh, financially from somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the fuel that keeps it going for sure. But but I don't I don't I don't look at that in any kind of um, resentful manner. I mean, to me, you know, um, I think the science of selling is quite interesting. And you're either going to try and meet people's needs or you're going to create a need. And the easiest way to create a need is to um, uh, kind of prick at their fears. So I find it quite interesting, this, the selling of all of that. But everybody gets a choice as to whether or not they're going to participate in it or not. And what did you learn about that? What did you learn about when people make the decision to, for example, have plastic surgery? Well, I think, you know, for some women, it's just something they feel like doing. I think for other women, it's, you know, it's, it's far more fear-based. It's, uh, well, if I, you know, a lot of it's the conformity um, principle. You know, if I, I need, I feel like I need to be a part, you know, somebody thinking that they need to be a part of this. Um, otherwise, they'll be left out, left behind, right. um, not included, or that they'll look stupid. The, if they're the only one, you know, there's some really interesting experiments that have been done about that, where people will change their answers to very obvious questions because everyone else around them is giving a different answer. To be part of the group. Yeah, to not be the one mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. left out. And frankly, I don't know that women are, you know, you could say it's about all humans, but I think in particular women, because I don't know that it's possible for a woman to actually become herself unless she's willing to, she's willing to entertain the idea of being disliked. 
Because I think women deciding that being liked and being nice is of utmost importance, I think has kept them back more more than any sexism. That's just my personal take. One of the things that I thought was that really got me thinking reading in the book is that um, there's a statement, let me see here. We are so used to seeing plastic surgery that we don't know what aging looks like anymore. And I thought that was fascinating because plastic surgery, that sort of uncanny valley, isn't so uncanny anymore. You know, when people grow accustomed to looking at something, um, anything different is going to seem unusual and we can grow accustomed to anything. And we have, you know, how often did you see people with colored hair 20 years ago or 30 years ago? I mean, it was like, it was a unique sighting and now it's like nothing. I mean, you're, you know, your, your aunt or grandma probably has, you know, a colored streak in their hair. Like it's no big deal. So, you know, any society can grow accustomed to anything. It seems to me as far as like, I'm not interested in, changing other people or, you know, making like, making sure everybody understands what a real face looks like or anything. I'm just not interested in that. I'm more interested in how I'm going to go through life. I mean, I want people to go ahead, keep doing what you're doing, keep thinking it looks like an unusual face, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. What I care about is whether or not I'm affected by it. And that's, that's what I endeavor to to get rid of. And if this book can disabuse other women of this idea that their faces are broken, then great. Then I want to be able to just, I don't, I don't want to change the weapons. I just want to change my reaction to them. I just want to be bulletproof. I don't, I want everything that happens around me to just glance off of me. We are still very used to seeing men's aging. Well, I think because it's, it's sort of a, a, a trope in society, if you will. There's certain roles, I believe, that society likes to cast. So society likes to cast uh, authoritative men because it makes them because it makes them feel more comfortable. So I think then in society as a whole, we will cast people in certain roles in order to feel more comfortable as we get older. And I think one of those roles is the authoritative male. And and if we go with that theory, then that explains why um, people like seeing men getting older, not stooped over, can't be like that, but it's got to be, you know, then it's because it says, it says maybe to society, it says authority, it says, you know, we'll take care of things. And then you can relax knowing, oh, they're going to take care of things. We're going to be okay. I don't think there's a role in society that they're readily looking to cast with an older woman, but like, it's the same there's other roles in society, like the the it girl, the society girl. There's an opening there. They're ready to cast someone in that part. So if someone comes along is anywhere close to that, they're like, great, you can play this part. But what I said about like for older women, a part for older women, that does not mean at all that older women shouldn't just like go be you, be as as tremendous as you are, continuing to continue to evolve as individuals. It's simply a way to explain why I think older men's faces are so so readily slotted into that role. You know what I mean? It, I'm just saying there are certain roles in society that I believe that we as a group are accustomed to slotting people in. So are you saying that women's need to fix their faces is the loss of power? No, but look, people have been quoting that portion of my book incompletely 
I'm going to try and find it here. I believe it's just a trick. Okay. So it's on page 13. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what it says is traditionally men's older faces signify traditionally power and women's older faces traditionally signify a loss of power. But what if this societal signaling has nothing to do with an older man's superior ability to wield power, but has everything to do with the women not sitting in their rightful places of power because they've folded under the weight of comments that they're no longer young and pretty looking. So what I'm suggesting is that women are to be in a place of power just as much as men are, but that women will sabotage themselves because they're, they're letting themselves get tricked by this because look all their lives and then i go on after all we've allowed we've long allowed this pretty compliment to be the ultimate female reward and in doing that we established that to be called old and ugly is the the ultimate in female failure so with that sense of failure quote unquote which older women are going to comfortably and confidently seek and sit in the power positions i do believe when you're trained like that your entire from from when you are a baby and you say that you see a little boy and they say, oh, look at him. He looks like so much fun or you having fun with him, whatever. The girl, little baby girl, if you don't say she looks pretty, it's like there's a little bit of an elephant in the room. So that happens throughout someone's childhood, consciously or unconsciously. And I'm not, I'm not saying like, oh, people are bad that they're doing that. I'm just saying, isn't it interesting? And then isn't it interesting when you want to try and take down a woman, no matter what she's done? No matter what she's done with her life, someone thinks, again, probably unconsciously, what's the one way I could take her down? Like with one, one comment, what is the one comment I can do that deletes all of this, that erases every, all the accomplishments she's ever done? I'm just going to sh say she's not pretty. I'm just going to say she looks like a hag. I'm just going to say like, Jesus Christ, she's going to do something with herself. She's going to fix her face, right? And I think it's a trick to try and get that woman off track to try and push that woman off balance. And I think if enough women go, yeah, I don't really give a shit. I don't really care if you think I'm pretty or not. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going in this track. And then they've got to deal with whatever fears are underneath that so that it doesn't continue to be something that they can do, something that can be used against them. You know, something that like, I mean, I see it in women's faces and attitudes that are in positions of power when they get attacked like that i can see that it bothers them and what i'm suggesting is for each individual woman we have an opportunity to not let it bother you because the attack's not going to stop but the trick is i mean the good trick not the bad trick to me the key is like get rid of that button what do we what's the completion of this sentence for each individual you know if somebody thinks i'm not attractive then therefore what like i'm not asking uh, you know, rhetorically, like truly for myself, I definitely had answers there. And then I had to deal with, oh, then my fear is these things not happening. My fear isn't actually, it doesn't have anything to do with the skin, skin on my face. My fear is that these things will be a result of that. So my real fear are these things over here. And not surprisingly, they're a huge part of your book or many in your book are actors. I mean, fame is, is difficult. How do you deal with the fear of looking old and aging in an industry like this? I've, I mean, I haven't acted in years. So, you know, it's that would be probably a better question for someone who's who's acting right now. I mean, I like as a as a writer director, like, I definitely, I would much rather use 
women who have not had done anything to their faces because, and no offense to them, but I, I just, I don't want my audience to be caught in the uncanny valley. I want them to be as emotionally engaged as possible. And I don't want them to step back emotionally from, from my films and, and ask themselves, wait, is something different here? Is something going mm -hmm. on here? Um, so that's just me. I mean, I don't know. I mean, every, every filmmaker is going to cast whatever they think is the best ingredient in their film. Well, I can take another example. Someone I admire so tremendously who stood up to governments, who stood up to climate change, is just standing up to everything. And that's Jane Fonda, who just like last year at 82, talked about that she would stop having plastic surgery at 82 and working at accepting herself has not come easy. And this has been one of the most difficult decisions in her life, how to sort of deal with her aging appearance. And, and when one can see how difficult that is for someone who has been in this industry and how helpful it is that she's talked about that openly. I, I, don't, I don't really know. I mean, I just know how I want to live my life my skin functions <laughs> and I'm excited about that. You know, I personally don't, if there's nothing wrong with something that's part of my body, then I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything to it. Um, that's just me. I'd rather, I'd rather deal with the fears that would make me think I had to do something to it because then like i said then i'm then i'm closer to my ultimate goal in life which is to be as confident as possible and the only way i know to get there is to get rid of all the fears and and how do you do that well like i said earlier you know i get to you know i try to go through my days confidently as possible and and if i if i get to part of my day where i feel pushed off track or that i have stepped stepped off track I don't feel myself anymore. I don't feel confident. Then I have to go write about it. And I have to get to the root of like, what was the incident? What was the event? Like uh, you felt fine until what point exactly? And then I like, I try to write about it and I feel like, well, what do you feel was threatened? Was it, um, I, you know, there's a list of things that, that it could possibly be. And for everyone, it's going to be specific to them, but I write it out and then I don't, I don't judge it before I write it out. I try to be, you know, cause a lot of times these fears are irrational for me. So I don't want to judge it before I write it out or I won't be able to see it, you know? So I write it out and then my rational mind can look at it and go, Oh, wow. That seems like that's pretty irrational fear. But now that I've exposed it, it can start, it can start to erode, you know, for someone, maybe it's like fear that they won't find a mate. Like if they get down to it, they realize that their criticism of their own face is rooted in that perhaps. And then, you know, one can look at that and go, all right, well, this is certainly something I don't have any control over. We didn't have control over it when we were 17 and we don't have control over it when we're 52. I don't believe. I've, I've never found myself to be to in, in total control of like having this romantic connection with somebody, right? These things just sort of happen. At least that's been my experience. experience. And so if somebody sees that that's the root fear of why they're criticizing their own face, then they can go, well, then maybe I'll just try and trust this as much as I trusted it when I was 17. Trust that it will be okay. Trust that it will work out. I'm just wondering how much control um, you can have as a young person 
today. I mean, it's even worse. Some things get better in society, but Instagram filters, there's Botox teenagers already talking about things like that. I'm so happy I sort of missed that that part. But it's a really, really difficult time for young girls, especially um, who have to, you know, put up their selfies every minute and, and how those look and how those look. And, and it, it's hard to sort of step back when I, f- I find that sort of society, they're being controlled by, you know, lots of, this is the pressures that are put on them. There has never been a moment in history, ever, where our society, where the individuals in our society have looked at themselves so much. Right. Ugh. Never. I mean, it's not, it's not a matter of like, oh, well, you know, it's, this, isn't a, this isn't a callback to any other society. This is the first time. So yeah, if your kid- No, the pressures are immense. Well, what are those pressures though? When we say that there are pressures, what what are we exactly saying? Are we saying everyone's doing it? Is it like a is it a is it a peer pressure thing? Oh, I think they is feel it that a way. conformity principle? But you know what I mean? Those are like I, I don't you know these are these are questions that have answers. You know, if some if a young woman is is saying, well, I I feel pressured to do this. Okay, pressured by whom? Like, has some individual specifically said to you, you need to do this or you can't have whatever, fill in the blank? Or is it a more general feeling that, well, person one is doing it, person two is doing it, person four is doing it, person 13 is doing it. All these people around me are doing it. And if I don't do it, does she feel pressured or does she feel the conformity principle that if I don't do it, I'll be left out and I'll be on my own? And that's her fear. So look, it's a, it's a choice every individual has to make. Are they going to go along? Are they going to follow the Pied Piper and walk off the cliff? Or are they going to step out of line and say, I don't think so. I don't really want to go along with this. That's what might be hard for a 13, 14 year old to, um, you know, with the pressures that society, especially as you were saying, the society where our looks are so incredibly important. You have to put that selfie up or you're not included. I mean, look, if, if young girls, if, if any older woman is concerned about young girls being obsessed with selfies and, and being, you know, being um, too focused on their looks, if there's any older women that are concerned with that, set a different example. Yes, but I was thinking that Many girls are mostly not seeing older women. They're seeing Instagram celebrities and retouched images and many older women that have gotten surgery, perhaps. There has never been a time, ever, ever, ever been a time where young women have had so many older women who are terrified of looking older to look up to. There's never been a time right. like this. So if then there are any older women that are concerned with that, you are part of what's going on here. Because when you're younger and you're looking at what do I have to, and you know, you know, forgetting 13 year olds, let's just talk about like 20 year olds. And they're looking at their life. They're just getting out of, you know, 20, 20, you know, early twenties, you're just getting out of college. You're gonna go work into the workforce. You're going to get married. You're going to have kids, you know, whatever choices you make. And then you're going to 
you know, and then like for the last 30 years of your life, you're going to be quote older looking. And are you approaching that moment dreading the last third of your life or the last quarter of your life dreading it because you see all these older women hating it? I mean, then that explains why a lot of younger women are trying to do this preemptive work so that they can hopefully cross their fingers, never get there because they don't want to live. Isn't it possible that they look at what older, how older women are feeling about their own faces and they're, 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 they never want to be there or become that. We can't even have a, a wonderful laugh line on your forehead. But see, that's just the thing. Like one can choose to live in a world where a completely smooth face is the ideal. Everyone gets a choice or you can not, or you can decide, hey, I think older women look kind of cool. And I am choosing to focus on these, you know, this list of women who are cool and doing cool things with their lives. And that's, that's where I'm setting my, my direction for my boat or my plane. You know what I mean? That's the heading that I want to um, be going towards. And it's available to anybody. But then this is the, this is what I'm saying. Nobody's putting any pressures on anybody. It's, it's a, it's a pressure someone will put on themselves. I mean, and I'm not talking about individual situations where somebody says, if you don't do X, you know, they specifically put an individual pressure on you. If you don't do X, you will not keep this job. Something like that. I don't mean that. I mean, generally, generally, nobody is making you do anything. We choose to do things because we want to be part of. I, I understand that, but I'm, what I'm trying to say is that I think that younger women are in a society where this is what they learn. From 13, 14, they learn they have, you have to look like this. This is what we look like. This is what happens to women. This is when we start changing our faces. Getting older is not a great thing. So I'm saying that it may not be a choice because it's something sort of that's put on us through society. Well, then those little girls are going to get an opportunity to check in with themselves and know that it doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. I don't feel happy. This feels bad. And then they will be able to move away from that. Oh, I hope so. I have, I have a lot of confidence. I have tremendous confidence in women in individuals, I have tremendous confidence in that they can make their own decisions about how they want to see themselves and how they want to see the world around them. And I'm telling you, for every single person, every decision they make, every attitude they have about themselves or things around them, just look at the results. If you like how the results feel, keep doing it. If you don't like how the results feel, as an experiment, try something different and see if you like how those results feel. And that's how you know who you are. That's how you know what kind of person you are or want to be. So Justine, this year you've released a movie. Um, you directed Violet. You've released books. What's next for you? I'm going to do the third book, which is, uh, I, yeah, I went to, um, to college at 36, graduated at 50, 
I went to UCLA and got a computer science and digital media management degree. And I kept a record of that while I was there. And so I'm going to adapt that into a book. And then I have, well, I have a couple of films I'm working on for, you know, my second and third film. Um, you know, fingers crossed, it's like a process, right? To get it all together. And one of them is the an adaptation of the book Face. Like I'll take 13 of those stories and do them in a film. Oh, that's exciting. Um, yeah. So that's, and that's something that I think I may um, crowdsource the funding because there's been so many, the, the reaction to face has been so overwhelming in a, in a, in a great way. And, and I, and I feel like this is a, would be a really cool opportunity for all these women that have been sending me DMs, bought this book and everything to kind of be a part of um, that film, you know, to, to participate in that way. So, yeah. And um talking to an, a documentary filmmaker about, about doing a documentary. Um, uh, so hopefully be able to announce that. On this subject soon. as well. Yeah. That's great. There's so many things that are happening around this. One can really feel the buzz and the need um, for this book that you've written. Thank you so much for, for this. Yeah. I think it was really it's a, I feel like it was a balloon that was ready to be popped. I think there were, I mean, at least going by things that women have written me, you know, they're just like, a lot of them seem like they just can finally exhale. You know, they're like, wow, I, I didn't want to do these. You know, all my friends are suggesting I make these changes and I didn't really want to. And then I saw your interview or I read your book and now I feel like, okay, great. I'm not the only person. Oh, good. <laughs> I can just keep on not doing this if I don't want to, or, you know, whatever, like, you know, people can do whatever they want to their face and hair, you know, their skin, what if this is their, it's theirs. They can do whatever they want to it. I'm just suggesting that to impress on women that they all need to do X, I think is a very, I think it's psychotic and, you know, it's a, uh, you know, viva la choice, you know, oh, yes. and, and if somebody is, you know what I mean? And if somebody is, feeling compelled to do something they don't want to do. I'm just encouraging them to look at what fear is underneath that and then deal with that fear. Cause that's the thing. It's not your face. It's that, it's that fear that's unrelated to your face. Right. Just go deal with that and then see how you feel about it. And I, and I guarantee you it'll, it'll have an effect. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> Great talking to you. Thank you so much to Justine Bateman. Her new book, Face, One Square Foot of Skin, is available now. And thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.